Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Public Sector Marketing Show, where today I talk about data-driven marketing. Data is the new oil, and did you know that the most lucrative companies in the world and floated on the stock exchange are now companies that have data as their oil source? So how can we turn data into our advantage for communications and also inform better digital marketing tactics. Well, in this show, I want to talk to you about, well, what actually is data-driven marketing and why do government and public sector need to start engaging and using the data that they have instead of being afraid of it? How data-driven marketing works in practice. And I interview a Google colleague of mine, Rob Thurner, who's been working on digital transformation with government and public sector in the Middle East. Now, Rob and I know each other as co-facilitators working with Google's Digital Academy, where data-driven marketing is, in fact, a really big topic. So if you want to learn more about the concept of data-driven marketing, or in fact, if you want to step up leaning in to digital, stay tuned. In today's column, I'm going to give you a mini masterclass on data-driven marketing for government and public sector. So let's start off by explaining what it actually is. Quite simply, it's using data to inform citizen behavior and also to inform your own digital marketing strategy. Data has been around forever. Advertising agencies and traditional media organizations have been using it to sell advertising space age, gender, and the location of listeners or viewers. But as we step into the digital age, we can get more granular with our data. And this allows us to understand behavior and interest and even contextual data. And this is what I mean by data-driven marketing, actually informing yourself of the behavior, the interests, and the context and the environment in which we're operating before launching any communications campaign. When it comes to social media, I talk about social listening and understanding that data. The other thing that we need to know about data-driven marketing is that it is done in compliance with data regulations and here in Europe, GDPR. And we know that we're going to have similar legislation in other countries across the world to safeguard the citizen when they are online. In my experience, government and public sector have been nervous and sometimes paralyzed when it comes to the data conversation. Number one, perhaps because they don't understand the concept. Number two, because maybe they don't have a single view of all their data. They don't have a data management platform. And number three, they have this perhaps voice in the boardroom or maybe in the organization or indeed perhaps in their own minds that using data to improve communications or indeed the citizen experience isn't something moral or ethical. I want you guys to lean into the data because what you're doing is you are trying to improve your public service delivery. You're trying to improve efficiencies in your organization and you're also trying to transform work practices 
but all of this happens with culture and mindset. Let's go to the OECD for a moment. They have produced a report called The Path to Becoming a Data-Driven Public Sector. 21st century government must keep pace with the expectations of their citizens and deliver on the promise of the digital age. Data-driven approaches are particularly effective for meeting those expectations and rethinking the way governments and citizens interact. This report highlights the important role data can play in creating conditions that improve public services, increase the efficiencies of public spending, and inform ethical and privacy considerations. It presents a data-driven policy framework that can help countries or organizations assess the elements needed for using data to make better informed decisions across public sectors. So have a think about how you are going to step into the digital age, how you're going to lean into the data, and ultimately how you can improve the citizen experience. Level up your digital skills by taking our diploma in digital marketing, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code DIGITALMARKETING20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's consulting segment, we're going to look at data-driven marketing in practice. The first thing that you need to do is you need to understand the organization's goals and corresponding key performance indicators. Data can help you achieve many things, but if you're not clear on what success looks like from the beginning, then you're not going to understand how you're going to utilize your data. Then you need to think about the target demographic and understanding their micro moment. So what is the moment of consumption where they're engaging with your public sector that you need to be there, be relevant in that moment at the right time with the right context and also with the right message. For example, how we might use data-driven marketing around public health messaging and coronavirus is for example, you might be targeting an age cohort who you are now ready to vaccinate. So in order to send out data-driven messages, you might then have a creative that is targeting the 50 plus age demographic. You might be targeting geographic areas where you know that there has been a low uptick of that demographic. And then you'll use contextual signals. So for example, time of day, or perhaps device or indeed channel where those 50 pluses are navigating online. Then you've got to line up your data sources and ask yourself, do we have primary data? So this is data that we own ourselves. Maybe it's our CRM database. Then we have data that we can have a look at from third party. So for example, traffic on our website, social networking insights, email marketing. And then you've got contextual data. And these are environmental signals so perhaps we've got we've got weather maybe we've got the political or the economic environment all of these data points matter to inform you of the message that you want to deliver to your target audience the next thing that you think about is your digital channels so where is my target audience navigating online we know that they are accessing channels via the smartphone device but we also know that they are migrating omni-channel. So they're going from web, they're going in app, they're going to social networks. So we need to understand that journey and follow them. 
And then we get the creative and the messaging, right? This is very important. And it goes back to my concept, just like me content. People need to see themselves in the message, but also in the visual representation with your content, whether that's a video or whether that is a graphic. Test and pilot. Do a small sample and experiment and use that data then to inform the bigger campaign that you're going to launch. When you do that, then it's time to scale. And of course, you can scale with PPC paid for pay-per-click advertising across Google and indeed the social networks, and you can use retargeting. And finally, you want to assess and lean into those numbers and understand where you made the difference. I have developed a data-driven marketing framework or infographic for you guys, and I have it here. And what it is, is it's allowing you to understand a bit better how communication success can be achieved by leveraging data. So at the first instance, we're thinking about how streamlining communications allows us to work more effectively internally. We can personalize messages to target groups. That leads us to providing an improved citizen experience. We're optimizing our audience segmentation. Remember my 50 plus, yeah, my 50 plus audience that want to get vaccinated. We are optimizing the segmentation so that the relevance of the message lands with them. But also what we're doing is we are optimizing our marketing spend. We are getting a better return on our marketing dollars, pounds, or euros. So why are we using data? We're using data to drive goals, goals of the organization. We're using data to inform our marketing spend. Where should we be directing our budget for greatest return? We're also using data for targeted marketing campaigns. So for individual goals, not specifically for the organization, but maybe for specific audience. We're using data to build citizen trust and to get them to engage with us at a deeper level. And ultimately, we are using data for behavioral change. All of this will help you with efficiencies by using automation, scaling your results when your sample or your pilot performs really well. The citizen will have a better experience and a better relationship with you and ultimately a better delivery of public services. So transformation is challenging. Transformation is painful. But I can tell you transformation is absolutely worth it for you, but ultimately for the citizen experience. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. Join our membership academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies, and organizational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. I'm delighted to be joined by a colleague today, Rob Thurner, who is a digital transformation specialist working with government and also private sector as well. Rob is the CEO of Burn the Sky Digital, and we know each other from Google's Digital Academy, 
where we are co-facilitators. And we actually run data-driven marketing labs for Google's clients. So Rob is a digital strategist and facilitator, and he specializes in digital transformation, customer journey, mapping, agile innovation, user experience, web optimization, and mobile marketing. He works with government clients to develop the skills and capabilities their teams need to thrive in the digital age. And in this interview, he gives us great examples of how governments and public sector agencies across the world are transforming digitally and who are definitely leaning in to the data. So Rob, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Uh, hi, Joanne. It's great to be with you today. Really looking forward to uh, our chat. So you and I know each other as being co-facilitators at Google, but you've got to let our listeners and our viewers know a little bit about you and your experience in digital transformation. Yeah, so uh, it, it goes back a little while, I have to say. Um, I started out my career in traditional marketing and uh, did a lot of work in um, actually with public public authorities, local authorities, working in the out of home industry where we had a lot of our sites on public authority land and buildings. Uh, I saw the writing on the wall, jumped into digital probably 15 years ago now, set up a mobile agency, and we did a lot of work with the COI, the um, the British uh, uh, Central Office of Information, running a lot of public awareness programs uh, around. Um, uh, uh, education around well-being, around employment, uh, and then that led me into starting up an agency called Burn the Sky, and that's what I do now. So we do digital transformation programs for government clients, most of it outside of Europe, uh, do a lot of our work in the Middle East and Southeast Asia, and I've got a few examples I'll be sharing with you today. And, uh, of course, yeah, we met on the Google program, so we're both Google facilitators and we've kind of learned our trade, I guess, from the best, you can say, Joanne. Yeah, 100%. That's the added bonus of having Google as a client because you get to learn it uh, the Google way and we learn best practice. Now, also within our work with Google, we talk about the digital maturity benchmark, a collaboration between Google and the Boston Consulting Group, and really providing um, a, a benchmark uh, to see how mature organizations are on their digital journey how would you describe government where do you think they set sit on that barometer i think it's a really interesting question joanne and um i think in some areas if you look at the scorecard where where are government uh, departments and where's government as a sector they're scoring really high in some areas and yet in other areas, there is a lot of work in progress. There's a lot to do. So I think where, where government clients do well is clearly they have access to a vast amount of data. And we've got to think it's accurate data. When you consider the national census, I just went through this myself with the, through my three daughters looking over my shoulder only last weekend. And they were fascinated to see the questions I needed to answer on behalf of myself and on behalf of them. All this data, of course, is, is validated, uh, my passport, my driving license, my tax, all, all of my government-related data are centralized. And so there's a very important area where having uh, citizen data is, is uh, an area where the government is 
ahead in many ways. It's obligatory. However, if I look down the scorecard, I would say there are definitely areas for improvement, most notably in the area of automation. How much of that data is captured and shared in an automated way? I'm going to talk to you a little bit later about uh, one government client we've had some uh, very interesting engagement with uh, that is considered to be the e-government exemplar in the world, um, Estonia. They've done some phenomenal work there. We'll talk about that a bit later. And in that case, if they're able to capture data and automate the use of that data by other parties, other third parties, other departments, and indeed partners in the ecosystems of which they, they are an important part. And then when it comes to attribution, which is figuring out how we can engage our citizens, our businesses, and our partners and attribute the value of data across the journey, I would say there's still quite a lot of work to do there. So given that they have access to the data, and that might be the envy of the private sector, what is the barrier to mastering the attribution piece and the automation piece? What's stopping them then? Well, I think it's, it's in some ways, it's a cultural issue. Um, you know, it, people come into jobs to, to, to do what they need to do, and they've got clear briefs and clear KPIs they're set, and it's in their interest to complete the job as efficiently and fluidly as possible. And also there's a sense that the default tends to be no and closed rather than default being yes and open. And I compare Google as an organization, and like you, I know a lot about Google. Now, it may seem a little unfair to compare a government department to Google, but I'll tell you what, there's an awful lot we can learn in terms of the way they do things. And just think for a minute, when someone joins Google on day one, they get access to the source code, which drives all of the Google engines and products and services we understand and we use every day. So the sense is, when you join the business, the answer is yes, you've got access to stuff. Not, no, why are you asking, and have you got permission? And what we tend to find in most organizations, private sector and public sector, is as often a sense of, on a need-to-know basis, you have access to data rather than, yes, you can do your job better if you use this data we've already collected. And that, again, we'll come back to the Estonia example a bit later, is where I think there's a fundamental shift. So that's a culture question. I think there's another one based on organization structure. And often what we find with big organizations, those that have been around a long time, there are some very rigid ways in which people do their jobs and they work within their teams. And the concept of collaborative working and bringing in different stakeholders from different teams to work together in a collaborative way is an anathema to a lot of organizations. And, and, and that's where we need to focus quite hard on both the culture and the organization. And, you know, COVID-19 has proven that government can be open and can say yes and can share data because it's been in that sharing of data where we've been able to track and trace, where we've been able to maybe share it with other organizations in terms of vaccinating populations. So hopefully, as Google rightly says, we've experienced a decade of transformation in 12 months, that that might 
parachute them a little bit forward. Let's get to those examples that you're eager to, to share with us. Tell us about how they are, Estonia as one example, have transformed and what they've done, what we can learn from them. Well, I think the Estonia example uh, is is highly unusual if you consider where they came from. So when the Soviet Union uh, ceased to be a thing and Estonia got its uh, independence, um, they, they were in a position where there was a massive lack of trust, a massive lack of information and intelligence, and there was a need back then to sort of rebuild a state, really, from bottom up. So... What they did, and this is really interesting if you look at the developing world, this happens again and again, instead of being encumbered by some legacy processes and legacy databases, they started with pretty much a blank sheet and they built up a, a, digital, a digital state, really, um, which at the heart uh, involved a, a rapid need to capture data and to share that data with the largest number of people. They built this principle called once only, and there's an excellent YouTube video. If you haven't seen it, I'll be happy to share with you, Joanne. You may well have seen it. And the principle here is that for the citizen, their requirements to engage with the government should be absolutely minimal. There are only three reasons why you need to go to a government office. Um, one is to uh, announce a birth or a death. One of them is to get divorced, and one of them, I think, is to set up a business. But all the rest of it you can do remotely. Um, the only once principle is based on some blockchain technology, which allows the state to capture a version of the citizen's uh, data uh, profile, that data to be um, housed centrally on a blockchain um, um, uh, infrastructure, and then be tapped into dynamically by any third party requiring that data. So if you want to uh, set up a business, if you want to um, uh, apply for a driving license, if you move house, you can update one piece of data that dynamically feeds the chain and that information is accessible to all other departments. So this saves a lot of duplication of data. It saves massive inefficiency with people having to be asked the same information twice, uh, which is annoying for the citizen. And it also saves the employees of the state departments a lot of time rooting around trying to find the latest version of the data. It's all backed up, it's all secure, and it's a really good example of how the government has been able to fast track into a digital era, and then what they've been able to do since. If you consider digital identity, everyone has a digital identity card accessible by all other government departments, what they call a data embassy. So all of this data is securely uh, uh, saved, indeed backed up and uh, taken offshore should there be any disaster within the state, so it's secure and it's backed up and an e-residency service, which means that people in the state and also outside the state are able to access this data uh, remotely and in real time. And I've got to tell you, having just run a very detailed 12-week program with a government department in Saudi Arabia, in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, they were open-eyed about the way in which this database had been compiled and the way in which it is accessed by other departments 
saving a huge amount of time, driving a lot of efficiency internally and better services for the citizens. It's a remarkable case study. And we did have an experience in my own country in Ireland here about 18 months ago, two years ago, where we were trying to create a digital citizen card and we got pushback from our data commissioner. And I think the fear, there's a huge fear around data but there needs to be an acceptance that in order to transform and to wholly become a digital first nation and to be more accessible and have, have better public services, that it all hinges on the data, right? Absolutely right. And, it, you know, it's often said, and I'm, I'm sorry to your listeners if this sounds a bit of a cliche, but it, it, it really is undeniable that uh, data really is the fuel uh, that powers the digital economy. And and there are some interesting parallels with the black sticky stuff, oil, of course. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, taken at source, it's very difficult to work with. Um, however, if you know how to process it and you can refine the data, it can be hugely valuable in ways that you may not uh, otherwise realize. I think the fundamental difference, though, is that unlike oil, which is a depleting resource, uh, getting ever more scarce and unpopular in so many ways, uh, the scarcity of data is not a thing at all. There's more and more of it being created. And I think the skill is for every organization and at source, government departments who have access to this firsthand for mandatory reasons, there's huge value in this data. If only it can be sourced, consolidated, and then the real value of that data extracted by clever processing and uh, efficient processing. You're absolutely right. Data is the new oil. And the only thing that we have to do to provide evidence of that is to look at the publicly traded companies on the stock exchange And you will find now that the top ones are indeed companies that have data as their oil. Let's talk about then data-driven marketing, the the whole topic of today's show, and how then you can achieve data-driven marketing and what's its role in digital transformation. So uh, this is this is clearly the the question at the heart of uh, every every uh, top level um, board discussion. It's you know where are we getting this data from, and, and are we really uh, extracting the full value of it? And, and I think at the heart of it, we need to not lose sight of why we're asking the question. And centrally. The question has to be linked to your objective. What is your organization objective? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to drive orders for a service? Are you trying to get adoption for uh, a new new, um, product uh, on the market? Are you trying to drive engagement and have more time with your customers? Are you trying to reduce costs by doing things in more more efficient ways? So understanding the, the objective, what you're trying to do, and then Breaking that down into what organization behavior are you looking to drive? What are the tasks you're looking to do? So which stakeholders need to be involved in this? And do they have access to this data? And can this be done in changing the way that they do their thing? You know, what processes are they following? How are they working with each other? How are you using automation to replace a lot of the menial, repetitive tasks 
which frankly we could all do without. And we could also find a way of doing it in an automated way, which would free up our time to do more valuable stuff, more valuable uh, uh, interactions. I think, Joanne, we'd all love to have a day or two back a week to do more high value stuff. And actually, the reality is the robots and the automation can do this for us. So it's what the tasks are, the second thing. And then the third thing, I think, is to be very clear that we should be measuring everything we're doing. We should have a clear idea what success looks like. What are we trying to get to? Set some measurable goals. How many new subscribers are you looking to get on board? How many likes are you looking to get, if that's a thing? How many ratings and reviews and shares? And then as you tie it back to your own digital properties, what does that look like in terms of more traffic to your website, in terms of more views of the videos you're creating, in terms of more uh, engagement from other stakeholders? If you're running a platform ecosystem business, how much engagement do you have from third parties? So being really clear about not just that you've got data you can use, but what role is that data going to play and how's it going to make you more effective, more efficient in what you're trying to do? So we've bought into the idea from a culture point of view of digital transformation. We have access to the data. We are now automating it. How do we get a single view of all of that data? Because big data is great, but it's very difficult to interpret. Well, uh, th this is a, a position where and I, I know you're going to ask me a question later and I'm going to sort of save up and I'm just going to just put, see this in your mind now, Joe, and I'm going to just say Nike. And I think you're going to know uh, what, what I'm saying when I get there later. But to ask the, answer the question about how do you go about um, uh, automation and what are the opportunities? I think it's, it's important to uh, start by identifying what are the opportunities for automation to improve what you're doing. Now, in, in a digital sense, this may involve being very clear about how you can be driving more traffic and higher converting traffic and bidding on the right sorts of interactions and linking those bids to the right sort of people. Now, we've all got these mobile phones in our pockets. You know, I set up a mobile agency back in the day, and this was even before the first iPhone was, was launched. If you remember, we had these tiny little buttons. We used to play Snake. Do you remember that game we used to play Snake? You know, I was showing my kids. They couldn't believe we were playing Snake, but that was, that was it. That was mobile gaming. These tiny screens. What we realized, of course, with one of these devices is we are able to engage with people in so many different ways across their day. Think of the seven Google products alone, which have over one billion active users, one billion active users. The search, the Chrome browser, the, uh, the Maps, the Gmail. We've got um, Google Play Store. We've got, um, um, there are a couple of others, help me here, Android. Um, these, these devices, these, these tools all have vast amounts of data capture. Now, when you consider this is real time, instead of doing a survey to ask people what they think, this is a real time sample of people behavior that can be uh, brought together 
and we can extrapolate from this different behavior patterns. This data, we can automate. The machine learning that sits behind a lot of these tools allows us to bid on the right impressions at the right time in the right place. If I know, for example, that um, let, let's say there's a, a, a service we're looking to, to launch, let's say uh, it's the end of the tax year, and we're looking to capture taxes, have people complete their tax forms, for example. We can look at the window when people need to start completing those tax forms. We may see that there's a distribution of people in one county or in one postcode area that have not done what they should have done by now. And we can geo-target them with a specific message using some of the data we can capture here for targeting. So the bidding bits, one area. Another area is creative. And you may think, oh, well, you know, it's government stuff. That's not very exciting, is it? Wow, some of the best ads I've ever seen are public service ads. You know, everything from employment to health to uh, to uh, attractions, amenities, whatever else. There's some brilliant public health uh, brains in the advertising agencies working in the public sector. Lots of great creative treatments. We can use technology to automate and bring in the right creative message. And we can be testing, A-B testing, different creative treatments. And where we see that one creative or a site that is selected to carry that creative is driving a disproportionate number of clicks. Well, that tells us, hey, let's spend more money on that and less money on the other stuff. And then the final bit is the processes. You know, as I said earlier, if you're engaged in highly repetitive menial processes and you can you can automate some of that stuff, that's going to free up a lot of time and actually make you able to make better decisions because the decisions are being based on actual fact rather than on sort of gut feel. And that's one of the big benefits, I'd say, of taking a data-driven approach. And of course, when government and public sector are investing money uh, and they're marketing dollars, pounds or euros, we know that it's public money. So best spend and value for money is important. So what are some of your favorite tools for data driven marketing? And of course, you you are allowed to mention the the Google products if you wish. (laughs) The G products. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's an important point here, and I'm sure uh, your your viewers, your listeners are all aware. These products are free for us to use as customers, but the real value for Google and other data-driven platform businesses like Google, you think about uh, you think about Airbnb, you think about um, Spotify, you think about a number of uh, uh, businesses that have um, uh, uh, it created vast valuation. Uh, by providing free services. It's by being able to monetize this data. So um, I'd say that the tools, are, a lot of the free ones from Google, you've got you've got Google Analytics, uh, which gives you real-time insights onto your, onto your web behavior. Um, we've got uh, so, some paid-for enterprise versions of that, uh, Google um, GA360, which gives you a, a connected uh, vision of your audience and how they're engaging with other tools, uh, other other services as well. Um, I think there are some specific uh, uh, machine learning tools which are well worth looking at. You think about TensorFlow, for example, which allows you to process vast amounts of data in the cloud uh, and to come up with your hypothesis about 
if we do this and then we do that, then we can expect a neat correlation between the two. Um, there's a great example. I don't know, Joanne, are you familiar with Ocado, the food delivery business? Oh, yes, yes. So Ocado, I was reading in the paper yesterday, Ocado is now worth more than Tesco, which is the biggest retailer uh, here in the UK. And you think, so here's a couple of guys who, who leave Goldman Sachs with a big idea. They cook up a deal with Waitrose. That runs its course. They then get out of that contract. They've just done a deal with Marks and Spencer. They've got this immensely valuable business, a unicorn business. The way they use machine learning is clever. I'll give you an example. So they get over 500,000 emails every week from customers about customer service stuff. Most of them are really positive messages, great delivery, great service. They were on time. The food was fresh, no replacements. The guy delivering it was very uh, polite, whatnot. But in there, they may get some messages which are not so good. Uh, so, you know, maybe that the food was not fresh. Um, actually, there was a late delivery. Uh, something unpleasant was found in your cabbage, whatever it is. So they'll look for keywords. And if the keywords match up with something which looks like a problem, then those emails are put in a priority inbox and they're dealt with within 60 minutes where the others can wait for 24 or 48 hours. So using that kind of uh, machine learning setting rules to look for keywords is a really important way of prioritizing workflow. And that same principle will be applied very soon now to voice as more of us start using voice search, for example, using our connected screens, then um, we can see that that intelligence can also be uh, um, subjected to machine learning algorithms in order to give us uh, ways of optimizing and improving the customer experience and dealing with any pain points we get along the journey. And then there's a big one, I have to say, I'm a bit out of my depth on this one, Joanne, but um, uh, BigQuery, which is a, a, a tool, a Google product, which allows us to process vast amounts of data in the cloud, and also importantly, to fuse primary and third-party data. I mentioned earlier all these data points that Google's developing. Well, the real skill here is to fuse that together with your primary data to get richer insights about citizens, about businesses, in order to provide ever more personalized and customized services. And if anybody at this point is thinking, you know, my goodness me, the, the manipulation or the use of data is something that we shouldn't be promoting. Let's go back to the why of data. And the why of data uh, for government and public sector is to provide a better, a more efficient, and a more personalized public service to the citizens that you represent. So what skills do public sector marketers need to have in the digital age and to be to be managing digital transformation and data-driven marketing? Well, I think, Joanne, you know, you and I come from the same place here. We're, we're committed to education. We're committed to helping people on their learning journeys. And we both realize that the speed of change in the digital world is exponential. It, it really is impossible to know anything. I'm always 
very suspicious when I hear people say, uh, you know, they, they know all the answers. No one knows all the answers. We're, we're all on a learning journey together. So I think part of, to answer your question, part of this is actually a mindset shift. I think we are, uh, we're mistaken if we think that knowing knowing the answer is really a possibility. We need instead to have a mindset that is about curiosity. It's constantly asking why, challenging the way things are done, challenging relentlessly assumptions. Assumptions are very dangerous things. So we need to not assume people are the same. People may look very similar on a census. What you realize that you know, the guy with the tattoos, there's a great Coca-Cola video that, that demonstrates this point. It's kind of, do you know your customer? And they blindfold these people in a room. It's I, I use this for the work we do in the UAE and in Dubai. So there's a bunch of Arab-speaking people in a room. And they blindfold them. And then they, they identify that actually the people who are talking about subjects, but when the lights come on, are entirely different people. It just opens your eyes to the fact that we are not the same as the people that we may appear to be. The guy jumping out of an aeroplane with a parachute is actually a wheelchair user. The guy giving a TED talk has got tattoos. You know, these people may be very different from the people that they appear from a socio-demographic perspective. So we've got to be constantly challenging our assumptions being curious-minded, I'd say, and also just be aware that there is no such thing as a completed product or service. Everything is beta. Everything is work in progress. And I've been very interested by how much of the uh, government-based, uh, uh, the UK government-based uh, work right now uh, is driven around uh, a skills and upskilling uh, agenda now as we come out of COVID. And um, when you consider that the number of people whose skills will be redundant uh, rapidly is estimated to be over a billion people between now and 2030, according to a report by the CIPD, which I got my hands on yesterday, there are some clear lessons for all of us in terms of how we should as organizations be responding to learning and the skills we need. And um, I would say that the, the mindset shift really should be matched with a learning journey, which is geared around understanding where your organization is at the moment, back to your point about the uh, Boston Consulting Group maturity matrix, but also the individual skills of the people who need to be uh, upskilled and the uh, future of technology and learning reports and the CIPD report I, I mentioned a few moments ago provides some really excellent insight into how we can uh, prioritize the learnings that we need and then turn those into ongoing learning journeys. So apart from being irrelevant uh, in terms of our, our skills or our knowledge, what are the other risks of ignoring data and ignoring digital transformation for government and public sector? Well, I think being uh, being irrelevant is <laughs> that's quite an existential question, isn't it? Uh, I'm irrelevant, sorry. but the, the point is that we can see that uh, rapidly we as individuals have less to contribute in the meetings in the office 
uh, when we're talking to people out and about if we're not aware what is going on in the world, how rapidly COVID has accelerated the, the march to digitization. We've given a few little examples already. I think for, um, for the, the risks of, of um, not getting up to speed, uh, it, it may seem a strange thing to say, but if you have the knowledge and if you're using data, uh, you are you're de-risking potential mistakes that you make otherwise. And I'll give you an example. It may seem logical if you're launching a new website or a new app to base that on what the people in your office, in your department, think you should put in there. But I would strongly urge you to do the opposite. Get outside and talk to people. Talk to people about what they want. Talk to people about what their pain points are. I'll give you an example of a very successful Irish entrepreneur uh, who I've, I've had the good fortune to meet, who runs a business called, 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 it's a, um, uh, he's called, uh, so I've gone blank. Uh, it's called, I've got the app on my phone. It's a greeting card app. And the idea is you can set up and get a reminder to send your loved one a greeting card. The business is very successful because at the heart is the customer. And the entrepreneur in question um, made a, a conscious effort to bring in a group of customers into his office every week and give them tea and give them cakes and just get them talking. And what he revealed very quickly was all sorts of fascinating things about what price point they would pay for their greeting card about how many greeting cards they would buy if it was an easy thing to do on a smartphone instead of having to go onto a complicated website. And indeed, the very terminology and the words used on the website and in the app. And as a result, by bringing them in on a regular basis and getting that feedback, he could massively de-risk building a website which his developer thought he wanted and instead build the website that the customer wanted. And I think there's no substitute for taking this outside-in approach, listening very carefully to the customer, to their pain points and frustrations, and realizing that maybe a very small change here or there could have a disproportionate change on behavior. And that's the advantage in listening to the customer and bringing them into what you're doing. And I think having the skills to do that are pretty critical. So finally, Rob, what's your single takeaway on data-driven marketing for government and public sector? What what do you want to leave people with? Well, I, I kind of set the teaser earlier, if you remember, and I said Nike, and it's as simple as this. I mean, their strap line, just do it, uh, I think is a, is a, a good takeout for all of us. Don't wait for it to be perfect. If you're wanting to build the perfect data strategy, the perfect attribution model, you could be waiting for a very long time. Much better just to get started. Start with a simple um, uh, challenge. Start with maybe just one data set about your customer and then fuse one extra data set. If you're putting together a, an omni-channel campaign, Start with the traditional form, maybe it's a print campaign, and bring in a digital overlay. If you're looking to manage and, and um, analyze the customer journey, start with a simple journey 
and see how that works by measuring the different uh, touch points, understanding the correlation between what you're doing and the behaviors you're exhibiting, and then take a test and learn approach, A-B testing, control, test, learn. The most successful part of the A-B test, well, that becomes the control for the next thing you test. So it's an iterative, ever-changing process, not dissimilar, Joanne, as I think you'll see to my approach on learning. It's iterative, it's always changing, and it's a continuous process of improvement and optimization. Rob Thurner, a wealth of knowledge. Um, thank you so much for sharing your insights and those great examples and case studies. It's been an absolute pleasure. And perhaps we will get to work with each other again, specifically around government and public sector. I think that would be a good idea. Yeah, no, I'd love to do that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I've not gone into here. Um, a lot of other case studies around the recycling industry, around the health industry, around the taxation and, and revenue and customs, a lot of other areas. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to be with you today. So thanks so much for your time. And I'll look forward to seeing you on the, on the next occasion, Joanne. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. To understand a little bit more about data-driven marketing for government and public sector, be sure to check out the OECD report, The Path to Becoming a Data-Driven Public Sector Organization. I have that linked along with other resources mentioned by Rob in the blog post associated with this podcast. Go and head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. And if you've enjoyed the show, please recommend it to a public sector pro that you know. I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to our YouTube channel. The show is out every Wednesday on YouTube and Facebook. And of course, every Thursday morning from eight on your favorite podcast platform. So from me, until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching and see you later. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. 